What is up, y'all? Welcome back to another weekly episode of Keeping It Real with Jalen. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. If this is your first time, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. And if you are returning, thank you for returning. I know it's been a while since I last talked to y'all. I'm so sorry about that. I did not mean to keep y'all, you know, lingering. But, you know, life happens. So, with that being said, happy Halloween, happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year. <laughs> um... It's been, it's been a lot going on in my personal life, just with work and school. And as I told y'all in the last episode, I did end up moving. So that has been taking a lot of my time, as you are probably aware of. But I'm so happy to be back. And with that being said, we are coming back with a bang. We have a special guest today who will introduce himself. And we're going to be talking about all things mental health, recovery, and everything along those lines. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce uh, Mr. Anthony Barnes, who is going to be our special guest today that's going to be guiding us about the conversation in regards to mental health. So without further ado, Anthony, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Oh my God. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm Anthony Barnes. I'm a clinical social worker and, you know, I'm... I, met Jalen because I work with Jalen. We're both social workers out there trying to do some good in the world. Yes, we are. Uh, I also work as a clinical social worker in private practice where I see um, most of my clients are queer clients, clients dealing with issues of, uh, you know, authenticity, trying to find themselves, yep. trying to shed all those terrible things that society makes us learn about ourselves. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's been very, very rewarding. And then I also work as a teacher. I'm a professor in the graduate program at CSUN, where I teach a class about mental health, recovery, and wellness. So this is like perfect for you. It's perfect, <laughs> yes, this is right in my right in my sweet spot here, right in my wheelhouse. So how long have you been teaching? This is my first time. First time? Yeah, don't tell anybody. Okay, okay. <laughs> I've, I've but you some... know what, we're like a teacher in life. Like, yes, yes. But you're officially like a, an instructor, professor. Yeah, but you know, I mean, you know this. As social workers, I feel like we're always teaching. Always. Right? Never like, never ends. No, it never ends. We're always teaching our clients, no matter, you know, what sort of environment we're in. So it's nice to be in the classroom. I yeah. love I love the classroom. I love acad academia. Um, and I love my students. So it's been really fun. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And if you guys don't know, Anthony does have a YouTube. It's kind of, you know... Uh, on pause right now. It's on a break. It's on a break. We're it's on, on a break. break. <laughs> but if you guys want to follow him over on YouTube at The Sugar Treatment. That's right. Um, he has so many cool videos talking about so many things related to social work, life, and everything in between. So I'll go ahead and drop a link down to his channel uh, in the description of this episode. So you guys can go ahead and like, follow, and subscribe to, uh, to his content. Oh my gosh. Thank you for that. <laughs> I love that. Of course. So we're just going to jump right into it and um, talk about, you know... Mental health, everything in between. So it's just going to be like we're just having a conversation. Okay. That's, that's all that we're doing. I can do that. That's all that we're doing. So um, what made you want to join the field of mental health? What intrigued you? What inspired you to, uh, to go into mental health? Yeah. So, I mean, to answer this, I got to take you back to 2012. Okay, take me all Let the me way take back. You we all love the way a back. throwback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the year is 2012, and I am a mess, honey. My life has fallen apart. I okay. had just I graduated from college in 2010, and I worked in entertainment for a couple of years, and it just ran me down. And I was drinking, and I was out there partying, and I was just not taking very good care of myself. So I um, I had to I had to make a choice. I was sort of at an inflection point, and it was yeah. like you're either going to get better or you're going to get worse. And my family 
came to my rescue and said, look, you got to take care of this. And I did. I went to rehab. I got sober in 2012, March 17th. So I'm coming up on, I'm coming up on, I think, 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations. um, Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was not an easy road. But uh, but I got sober and I, I really became inspired by the help that I received okay. when, I, when I needed it. You know, there were so many people from friends and family, but also also professionals that were there for me that really kind of showed me the way. And that was really, really inspiring. And so after I got sober, I went to UCLA and got a certificate in drug and alcohol counseling. Nice. Because that's, that's kind of where I thought I wanted to start, right? Like your niche. Yes. And so I worked in treatment for about a year and decided I didn't like it. <laughs> what I really what it was is that I noticed that so many of my clients who were dealing with substance use issues also had mental health issues, right? Gotcha. I mean, they, they go hand in hand. We yeah, know that. Absolutely. And so I I knew that I needed more credentials. I needed more skills. I needed more knowledge. So I decided that, uh, to go back to school and to get my MSW, my master's in social work, so I could become a therapist because I really wanted to be a therapist okay. to do clinical work. So I did that, graduated in 2018, and uh, and kind of got roped into working for the county, right? Like kind of <laughs> got roped into being this this social worker. Um, it wasn't my plan to end up in child welfare, but it has been incredibly rewarding. And the reason why I chose that first was because I kind of needed like a crash course Mm. in this. I needed to understand what it was like to work with different marginalized populations, um, to understand sort of like the unique cultural issues that those populations face, to understand like the system and kind of how it all works together. Because I came in not really knowing anything. Like I worked in treatment, but prior to that, I worked in entertainment and I worked in health and fitness for a little while. Makes sense. So it was so it was like a new world for me and I really wanted to throw myself into it. And I'm so glad that I did. I mean, I'm still there after five years. <laughs> right. So like, I, I mean, it. we complain about it, right? Like it's hard and it's Absolutely. tough and it's a grind. But at the end of the day, like I love what I do. I love my clients and it, it, it does, it, it fills my cup, you know, and that's why I got into mental health. And it's fulfilling to you because yes. I know in our profession, a lot of people experience burnout. So it's amazing to see that you're still enjoying what you do and able to cater to different communities, different populations within our surrounding communities that we do work with. Yeah. So that's amazing. Well, thank you. I mean, don't get me wrong. There have been some hard months, <laughs> maybe hard Abs- years even. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> We're all in a hard season right now. But We're we, all burnt the hell out. Yeah, but we get through it together, right? <laughs> absolutely. Like, I mean, the the thing that feeds my soul when I'm working, when I need it, is my, are my colleagues. Yeah. When I'm able to just like sit with my colleagues and, and talk about how hard things are. Yeah. That's what makes me able to do it again the next day. Now, would you say that because you are a therapist and you're a clinician, do you believe that like clinicians need clinicians? Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I have had many clinicians. (laughs) I've been in and out of therapy, I mean, throughout my life, really. And I love therapy. I I, Because it's a space that's dedicated to me, right? I get to go in. I know that this person is going to advocate for me and is looking out for my best interest and is going to be able to see my blind spots. Okay. Because, like, so often in life, like, we can sort of get caught in these ruts. And it's nice to have somebody there that can sort of just be a mirror and sort of reflect back to you what's, yeah. what they're seeing. And, and you know, ultimately hope to, to change your perspective. Yeah. You know? Now, um, what are, like, I guess the different kinds of therapy? Because, as you know, like, when, what you learn in school is, like, 
There's like EMDR, I believe. CD, oh, there's so CD many. CT or something like that. I, I'm learning it in school myself, so forgive me if I sound a little foolish. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll get there. Yeah. Honestly, I've been so I've been out of grad school now since 2018. Okay. So it's been five years, and I'm still kind of learning how to be a therapist and yeah. learning like what my style is, what feels good, what interventions, right? You're, you're mentioning EMDR and CBT, these yes. different kinds of uh, modalities or different kinds of therapies. Those are things that like, they're so important to learn, but it also takes some time to figure out like, how am I going to take this intervention and adapt it and use mm. it in a way that's, that feels natural to me that I can also, tra- that will translate like to my client. Gotcha. So, um, I mean, there's so many different kinds of therapy. The, the, my sort of modality and the way that I position myself as a therapist is using attachment theory. Are you familiar with attachment theory? I kind of heard of it. I know we're like talking about that in grad school, but... Do you care to elaborate? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, I like it because it's so, it's simple to understand and it's very, um, when I, when I use it with my clients, it's kind of like a light bulb moment. Mm -hmm. So attachment theory, this John Bowlby back in like the seventies, this is, this is some, some dude who's much smarter than I am came up with this (laughs) and basically said that, look, we all grow up in, you know, very specific environments when we're kids and whomever it is that raised us, those relationships will sort of dictate how we do relationships later in life. So if we have a caregiver who's really anxious and is always very worried, right? Like you see those parents when their kids fall and they're like, Oh my God. Yeah. Right. Like you see those anxious parents. I'm like, Oh no, don't do that because that's going to make your kid anxious. Right. And so there's a, there's an attachment style called anxious attachment style. It's also called preoccupied. Okay. That's another word for it. We did learn this in last semester. Yeah, yes, there's a couple it's, it's different It's ringing a bell now. <laughs> so you have anxious, you have avoidant, and then you have a secure attachment. Yep. There's also disorganized attachment, which we can talk about. But those are those are kind of the main four. Most of us have have are a combination okay. of them. Some of us have secure attachments in some relationships, and then some other relationships might be they might be different, right? Like maybe you have a, a more insecure, anxious attachment with one mm. parent, but then you're secure with another parent. And so what that does is like it will shape the way that you kind of perceive safety in the world and right. trust. Right. Safety and trust is really dependent on those relationships, and that's really like what it's at, is at the heart of attachment theory. So if someone has an insecure attachment, they're going to go through the world worried about trust and safety. Makes sense. And so the task as a therapist is to try to kind of like, number one, bring awareness and educate so clients can kind of see and then teach them new skills so that they can unlearn some of these adaptations because that's what they are. They're adaptations. When we're a kid and we go through traumas or we go through difficulty, our brain Mm -hmm. takes that programs it and then tries to figure out a way to protect us from that harm again in the future. But for so many of us, it turns out later in life to be maladaptive, right? Right. Like it's not helpful. Some of these survival techniques that we had as kids are not helpful as adults. Always living in a like fight or flight. You know, it's not healthy for your nervous system either. Oh no. Or anything for that, for that nature, which can also lead to, you know, mental health issues. Exactly. in, In life later on in life. And, uh, can really fuck you up. Oh yes. <laughs> you know, can really oh fuck you up. yes, 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 yes. Absolutely, they can. So, how long have you been in uh, in the field of mental health? So, I guess like if you count since grad school, it's been five years. But okay. if you count since I've been like studying, uh, you know, since I went to to UCLA and did the drug and alcohol counseling, that was in 2013. So it's been ten. Ten years. years. Okay. Yeah. Have you? Well, would you say it's been like 
the best 10 years of your life, the best five years of your life. Of yes. Like being able to give, I guess in a sense, give back. Yes. Or... I mean, I'm so, yes. I, I know that this is the field for me. I'm so, you're so grateful that it. I, oh my God, thank you. That's so <laughs> sweet. This is definitely the field for me and I'm glad that I found it. It is so hard. And yeah. sometimes I'm like, why did I choose this? Because it's so hard. <laughs> and you know what's also hard about it is like, it's hard to see people get better. Yeah. Right? Like, even as a mental health professional and I work with people, I have seen people get better, but it's slow, right? And it is, um, it's baby steps. And it's two steps forward and it's two steps, or sometimes mm. one step back. Or sometimes yeah. three steps back, right? And that's, like, talking about recovery, that's really what recovery is. That's what recovery really looks like. A lot of people think that it's linear, right? That yeah. you're just going to get better as you continue. But... Life throws us curveballs, right? Like things come up and sometimes like you might be going through something difficult and you're going to regress and you may like start to re- resort on or you may start to rely on some of those old adaptations and coping old, mechanisms. old coping mechanisms. Yeah. And that's why therapy is so important to kind of pull you back and get you on the on a forward, you know, trajectory. Now, how do you feel about the saying like a part of recovery is relapsing? That, is that necessarily true? Yeah, I think okay. so. I think like we have to. So when we talk about recovery, when a lot of times when people say recovery, they they immediately think of like drugs and alcohol. Right. Uh, when I think of recovery, I think of it encompassing everything because like substance use is one sort of feature, right? Of or, or, or sort of like it's more of a symptom in mm-hmm. my view. It's kind of more of a symptom of trauma. I know this dude named Pablo Das. He's this. Buddhist teacher and he's going to come and speak in my class and I'm so excited about it. Uh, but he has this whole sort of theory about how, how, you know, substance use is really a trauma response. Mm. Um, and that we really need to look at it that way. And so to answer your question, like relapse of course is going to be a part of someone's recovery because it is relapse using is Again, it's a it's a symptom of the trauma, and when our trauma is triggered, we can we can expect that to right. happen. You know what I mean? Now, that's not to say that like everybody is going to relapse, but it's one of the possibilities. Right. And so, like our task when we're treating substance use is to really to get to get to the heart of the trauma. How can we process that trauma and allow somebody and, and try to to position it so that it's not so. Um, so that it's not so triggering, you know, so that it's not so like right there on the surface. Yeah. It's not like <laughs> hovering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now what, like in your professional opinion as a mental health clinician, um, what are like some of the ways that someone who is feeling the urge to like relapse, what are like some other coping mechanisms that you teach your clients to use instead of going back to like, I guess relapsing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's all about creating a a sort of like recovery plan that includes a plan for relapse. Okay. So like, obviously, we don't want to we don't want to encourage our clients to relapse. Of course. But we want to create a really strong infrastructure around them. Um, you need support in recovery. You need people around you who are going through the same thing. Okay. To help, kind of like just lift you up and give you like the the hope. Is really what it is about. Okay. Um, 
And so that's like number one is you got to have some kind of support. For a lot of people, it's going to like a 12-step meeting. Okay. It's not the only way, right? There are other support groups. You can get support from a therapist. You can get support from other, you know... Uh, church. R- church, right. Yeah. I get so much support from my gym, from my community at my gym. Okay. So whatever it is, like you have to have community. You have to have other people in your life that can sort of hold you accountable. Um, and then I think it's also about like really doing doing the work to like create a routine like mm. a daily routine yeah. that you can sort of stick to and then also like be gentle with yourself when you can't follow it gotcha because i think so many of us in recovery especially and i'm, and I'm talking specifically about like well no i'll include mental health it's not just drugs and alcohol so many of us in recovery we want to get better and then like will fall off or we sort of stray from this daily routine and then we get discouraged and we lose hope and then that's when sort of relapse happens. We start to spiral back into that pattern. It's about let's create a routine and then let's also create like a plan B. Like if you can't do that, then let's do this. Instead of completely falling off, off. let's just readjust and say, okay, it's not possible for me to get to the gym today, but maybe I can do some stretching at home. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like... It's just about perspective. It's just about like creating a situation or creating a routine that can be adaptable um, to support someone's recovery because it date again, like it fluctuates on the daily what you're going to be able to do. Gotcha. Which can like, I guess, like, I don't want to say like deter, but in a sense, like guide you through your recovery in a sense, like just coming with, like you said, coming up with like different routines and I don't know what I'm trying to say, but <laughs> in a sense, like your daily routines will help you guide your way to recovery. Obviously, recovery is not linear or circular or anything, um, but just, I don't know. Yeah. Creating creating some sort of routine or pattern. Absolutely. You have to have a routine. You have to... I mean, I know that for me, when I was going through recovery, my life was in disarray, girl. Mm. I couldn't even like... I couldn't even eat at normal times. Like, my house was a mess. I could barely take care of my dog, right? Like, I'm, like, not going to sleep at the right time. I'm not taking care of my body. So I literally needed someone to be like, look, you need to, like, get up at this time, and you should probably make your bed, right? Yeah. And you should probably try to, like, (laughs) brush your teeth and wash your face. And we have to, like, think about these things because it's those little investments in ourself that will help us start to rebuild our self-respect, Right. Because when we're when we're like trying to recover from something, whether it's mental health, drugs and alcohol, whatever it is, so many of us just don't like ourselves. Yeah. In fact, and we that's hate okay. ourselves. It is OK. Yeah, it okay. is OK. We, we hate ourselves for a reason. Right. Like it's because of all the things that we've been through, because of all the things the world has said to us or the messages that have been sent to us. And so we need to unlearn that stuff by by being gentle with ourselves by, yeah. by creating a, a, a path towards self-compassion, which is a really long way to go from, I hate myself, right? And so in order to, to create that path to get someone to a point where they can actually love themselves, it's doing these small daily things to take care of yourself. And right? that also doesn't look linear either. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. You're so good at this too, I will say. Like, I feel like you're crafting and the way that you, just the way that you even style your cubicle at work. I'm like, <laughs> this girl is taking care of herself, you know? Like, the way that you 
I mean, you put this sticker on your computer and it's so cute and wonderful and it's beautiful and it's a, it's a representation of you. And when you look at that, you probably go, oh, like that makes me happy. That makes right. me feel good. Yeah. And it's those kinds of little things that we need people to do in order to recover. It sounds kind of silly, but like I, I, I truly believe it's those small little investments in ourselves that add up to a, a fulfilling life. To, and yeah, to me that is crafting. <laughs> yeah, I know it is. I, I love crafting. Um, but that everyone has their own way of coping, like or not coping, but everyone has their own way of like creating their self care or taking care of themselves or being more kind and being more gentle to themselves. So whatever or however that looks like to you, do it. Yeah, do it because that's the only way that you're gonna heal. Exactly. And and speaking of which, like, how would you encourage someone that? you know, has been recently diagnosed with a sort of like a mental health disorder. Like how would you encourage them to show up for themselves and to take care of themselves? Yeah. It's, it's really, really tough at the beginning for sure. Because usually people come to me and they are like, they're sick of it. Like they don't want to deal with it anymore. They want a pill to make it go away. Mm -hmm. Right. They want a magic answer. They want someone, they want a magic answer, right? And like, there are medications and pills, right? That can help us get better, but a pill alone will not help you recover. Okay. Right. When we're talking about recovery, I'm talking about living a life, living a contented life, living a full life, a peaceful life. Yeah. To me, that's what recovery is. And, excuse me. And so like getting there when you're so broken is a long road and it really is about first setting expectations okay. with the client. Okay, look, this is what this is going to look like. You're going to be dealing with this for a while. It's this is not going to go away and it's going to be baby steps, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a it's going to be really fulfilling this process of trying to get better. Is it going to be painful? Absolutely. But I'm going to be there for you, right? right. And we're going to make sure that there's other people that are going to be there for you that you can rely on when you are struggling. Um but then it's also about like not just seeing yourself as the disease or as the problem or as the diagnosis. Okay. So many people I see will will say, oh, well, I'm just depressed or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm an addict. And like sometimes it's important to to call attention to those identities. But there's so many things, there's so many other things that make some that, that make up who we are, right? Like okay. we are, I am not just my illness. Right. So I think recovery is also about calling attention to those other parts of ourselves mm. that we have forgotten, that maybe we have even like isolated. Right. Because our depression is so consuming, right? It can, it can sort of play tricks on us and it, it will, it will hide from us all of those things that, that we could actually call upon to help us get better. So for example, like for me, when I was trying to get sober and I was really like struggling, I didn't think very much of myself and I just thought of myself as this alcoholic person that couldn't do anything. But I also have like, I also really am a, a, I'm a social person. I really like being around people, but the alcohol kept me away. Mm. And so it was like, once I stopped, it was like, oh, I can, I have this other thing in my life where I can, I can spend time with people. And I really enjoy that. Right. I like being with people, but the alcohol kept me away from that. And so it was almost like part of my recovery plan was I got to have people in my life every day. I got to have human contact every day. Right. Because when I was drinking, I was held up in my apartment all day by myself. Mm, which is not healthy for you. No, it's not healthy. Yeah, especially I needed, if you're a social person. Yes, I needed people. So so part of my recovery was I got to see people every day, right? Um, and there's just that's just one example. But it's, a, it's really, really important to build upon 
people's strengths in their recovery. And that so that's kind of what I do to begin with. I also think like recovery is about it's about getting to know ourselves. Yeah. Too. The real you. The real you. Yeah. The real you. The real dirty ugly you. Yes. The <laughs> but person... also the beautiful you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> there is a beautiful you inside of all of us. Absolutely. And but but again, like so many times these these diagnoses can stand in front of that and we just we think of ourselves as just that thing. I'm a depressed person. I'm just this. That's who I am. No, no. The depression is a part of who you are. Right. But there is so much more under there. So don't we don't I don't I try to get my clients to not reduce themselves to just their illness. So or living strictly in their illness. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cuz that can definitely definitely play a part in, in your mental health and making you feel um, in a way that you feel like recovery is not even possible at all. Yes. And that will keep you, you know, keep you away from the people that you need to be around or whatever that you need to, to feel whole and to feel healed. Yes. Essentially. Okay. It is. It's all about hope. Yeah. It's about hope. You got to have hope. And in order to do that, you got to like yourself, yeah. you know? And so it's like, you got to find those parts of yourself that you do actually like. And then start to rely on those parts to get you through the tough times. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. So because you take on so many else's people's trauma and <laughs> we have vicarious trauma and, you know, working in child welfare and things of that nature, how do you self-care? Like, besides, Ooh. I mean, well, not besides the gym, but how do you self-care? What does self-care look like to you? Uh, I love this question. So self-care, like... On its face, a lot of people think of self-care as, like, going to the gym, right? Or, yeah. like, taking a bath or, like, cleaning our space. And those are parts of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Those are parts of recovery, for sure. Or, I'm sorry. Those are parts of self-care. But what I when I think of self-care, I really think of it as being something that's a little more introspective. Mm. It's, um, it's, you know, that moment when that voice will creep into your mind and start trying to talk you out of doing things or try to tell you, oh, no, you shouldn't, you can't do that. Like, you're not going to be able to do that. You should, did you really just say that? I can't believe you said that, right? You know that voice that's in there. Yep. Self-care to me is showing compassion to that voice. Mm. Because that voice exists for a reason, right? That voice is there because it's trying to protect me from something. From something, yep. It learned something, long ago probably right it had some experience that showed it that there was some kind of danger and it's trying to protect me but the way that it's protecting me is not kind it is not being kind to me right yeah. that voice that's inside is a voice that i would never use with anybody else hmm. and so self-care to me is being able to intercept that tune into that and understand oh i know where this is coming okay it's all right anthony yeah. It's going to be okay. I understand why you're scared in this moment, or I understand why you're embarrassed, or mm. I understand. It makes sense. But um, but that's okay. I'm here, and, and we're not going to, nothing's going to hurt us, right? Yeah. It's about really taking care of myself on the inside so that that voice doesn't become the dominant voice. Mm. Yeah. I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to get it to go away, but I am getting better at intercepting it and trying to take care, excuse me, <coughs> take care of it. Okay. We have to take care of that voice in us because it's, 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 it's reaching out for something. Yeah. Right. It's there for a reason. It's there for a reason. <laughs> and I would much rather meet it with kindness and compassion than with, um, you know, than with this sort of like fight, 
fight stance, right? Like, yeah. I'm going to fight you. Because yeah. so many of us do that with that voice inside. Absolutely. We try to fight it or we say, no, go away. Or, you know, I'm going to do it anyway, right? Um, and that's okay. That's one stance that you can take with it. I like the I like the kindness and compassion because it disempowers that voice, and then it it it, it has less control over me. Mm, so okay. that's that that is self care to me. Okay, awesome. So last couple of questions. Um, I know we kind of talked about like the different uh, types of mental health and the different um, like how long you've been in the mental health field. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you go about working with like some like either someone or a family member who you can clearly see that they have some sort of mental health issue or that they're struggling with something, right? Mm-hmm. But they fail to, or I don't want to say they fail, but they don't think that they need help. How would Ooh. you go about that? We're just planting seeds. Okay. Because we can't force anybody to change, right? Like people have to be ready to change. They have to make the deliberate choice right. to do something different in their life. Because the thing is, like people come and see me as a therapist, right? 50 minutes a week. Okay. That's that's a that's not even an hour a week, right? <laughs> so like for me to be able to completely like take away whatever it is that's hurting them and harming them in 50 minutes, it's just not going to happen. It takes somebody who is committed to applying the skills that we have learned in those 50 minutes throughout the week and then coming back and reporting how did it go? Okay, let's tweak it. Here's a new skill. Try this this week. Okay. But they have to try it, right? Like right. they have to be willing to actually implement the things that we're practicing. And I'm not going to be there to hold their hand or hold them accountable to it. So it really takes somebody that is committed and ready to make a change in their life. And so if somebody is not there, if they're saying, I don't want to go to treatment, I don't want to go to therapy, whatever it is, then it's about like providing empathy, compassion, and meeting them where they're at. Okay, Mm. you're not ready for that. I understand. How can we try to make your situation better right now? Mm. Is it... I'm so sorry. So if it's like that they're using every day, right? Well, maybe could you use every other day? You know, could you maybe like instead of drinking like in the morning, could you maybe wait until the evening, right? So we're talking about harm reduction. What are some things that like, what are some things that feel accessible to this person right now to get them, you know, at least one one step closer to recovery? Um, And then it's just providing a lot of education, you know, like this is where you're at and it's totally fine. Like, you know, uh, but this is what you should know about the drugs and like what it's doing to your body and like how to get better. And this is what it would look like. And, um, it's, it's about like setting expectations, providing education and just letting them know that like, there are people out there that are interested in seeing them get better. Yeah. And I want to see them get better. Yes. So many people that are out there struggling don't have anybody. Yeah. They don't have anybody that, that really is invested in them. Um, and so being somebody that's a professional in this field who interacts with a lot of those kinds of clients who are marginalized. Yeah. Um, it's just about being a human being and trying to connect with them, you know, and not trying to change who they are. It's just about seeing them. Let being me see you. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. Okay. And then lastly, what gives you energy? What gives you the motivation to want to get up in the morning to want to, you know, do what you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, you see, I have this huge coffee. So coffee <laughs> is major in my world. Coffee keeps me going. But, I mean, to answer your question, what feeds my soul and gets me up in the morning is like knowing that, oh, 
it's spiritual actually like it gets deep for me you okay. know because like I feel like when it comes to what I do what I do very much represents like how I feel about why I'm here mm, in this now. world yeah. you know like I am somebody that is I'm look I'm a Scorpio like I'm very deep and introspective yes. like I could go there very quickly yes. and I could also go to the dark side very quickly <laughs> But like As I, a fellow Scorpio, I understand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I really, um, I'm, I'm really invested in, in this greater question of why are we all here? Yeah. Like, what is the point of all of this? Yeah. And I think the only answer that I've really come to that makes sense that has like that 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 I continue to return to is like, we are here to to contribute. Mm. We are here to provide. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was endowed with certain gifts, right? Like I was, I, I'm able to talk to folks and that's a, that's a gift that I didn't realize was a gift until I kind of started doing this. And so when I get up in the morning, it's like, Oh, I have this sort of responsibility to share my experience and the skills that I have with the world to try to help somebody else that, and that is spiritual for me. That is like my whole sort of like, that's like the foundation and basis of my my spirituality, yeah, you know, and like the, awesome. the the reason why I feel like I should be getting up every day, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And it's not easy. That's not to say that I feel that way every single day. Like, believe me, getting up out of bed can be hard sometimes. Yeah. But like, you'll have that client. I know you've had them. Of course. Where yeah. you feel like you really made a difference in their life in a big way. And it's on those hard days when I don't want to get up where I will reflect on that and go, oh, okay. All right, bitch. Like, yeah. Let's do this let's, again. Let's, let's, let's do it again. Yeah. Like, that's what we're here for. Let's go help somebody, you know? And I think that's the beautiful part, like, when, when your clients, like, and I'm not saying that we're in this position to look for, like, recognition, but when your clients, like, thank you and they're just like, Thank you for being my cheerleader. Like yeah. that brings me joy and that brings me warmth. And that that's my why, why I want to, you know, pursue further education in social work and what makes me want to get up in the morning. Cause like you said, it's not easy. No. It's not easy, especially when you're battling so many other things in the world um, and the different circumstances. Cause as you know, we work with the various, uh, various different populations of folks who are oppressed, who deal with their own, you know, trauma and and and, and they the way that they have their trauma response and yeah. we're coming in trying to navigate and fix their trauma and you know be a be a helping hand so i truly appreciate you having this conversation with oh. us and i'm hoping that you know the listeners out there um learned something or you know that this was helpful and useful to to anyone out there um in the description box below i'll go ahead and drop some resources and some links um, I'm not sure if Anthony um, is taking any clients, but um, I'm sure he can uh, give us any give us some resources to different therapists that he knows or that yeah. he's worked with. Um, so if you are in need of any mental health services, um, you guys can reach out. Um, as always, there is the 988, which is the new um, emergency mental health um, emergency line. So if you ever feel as though you need any sort of support or help, go ahead and reach out. Um, with that being said, thank y'all so much again for tuning in and that's going to wrap up another episode of keeping it real with Jalen. Bye.